Thanks for tuning in to Best Show Ever, a podcast presented by the Englert Theater. On today's episode, we'll hear from Rachel Maker, clothing designer and co-owner of Found and Formed in Cedar Rapids. Then we'll talk to Mandy Nichols about her work as the founder of the Corridor Community Access Network and a new initiative she's spearheading. But first, let's get a word from one of the producers of this podcast. Hey, Best Show Ever listeners, it's Savannah, one of the producers of this show. The Englert has launched a second podcast, the Writers of Color Reading Series. It features writers from all over the state of Iowa, reading their work and discussing their creative endeavors with the host, Iowa City's very own Chewy Renteria. You can find it wherever you listen to Best Show Ever. New episodes air every Monday. Enjoy! Rachel Maker is a Cedar Rapids-based retailer and clothing designer. Along with co-owning and operating Found Informed, a vintage clothing shop in Cedar Rapids, Rachel has been trying her hand at styling local musicians, creating custom stage outfits for the likes of Elizabeth Moen and Anthony Warden. Rachel, so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come and chit chat with us. Hello, hello. Thank you. Um, so let's start at the beginning. When did you realize you had a passion for fashion? (laughs) (laughs) I was excited to say that one. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. As a kid, I realized that I wanted to wear things a little differently than other people. I didn't want to wear what everyone else was wearing. I wanted to dress based on my current mood and how I was feeling. That's kind of when it started. And I think following artists at a young age, seeing them in magazines, that was probably the biggest influence in fashion outside of what I was seeing around me. This is already telling us a lot about you and your approach to art through clothing. And this is a thought I've had, or a realization I've had recently too, because I feel like I grew up in the digital, you know, age. And I think looking at musicians and fashion somehow I feel like maybe the connection and that importance has maybe I don't know been separated a little bit because I I'm reading this book and she's talking about you know back in the day when you got the newest David Bowie record and he'd just be wearing something so glam or extreme or interesting and like the role that the fashion played David Bowie's fashion played in his artistry and in the universe he created. I don't know. I kind of wonder if because of the internet that's been lost a little bit. Ooh, that's interesting that you say that. Yeah. One thing that I do with designing clothing is for musicians and getting to know them is a really big piece of designing for them because you can create a costume and something that someone can step into that's expressive and cool uh, and they can put on the show. But I think that line between costume and then custom is a really important line because something that's custom for them and their unique flavor and style and something that they can step into where it isn't not them, but it is them. I feel like that is what custom is about. And I don't know much about who designed David Bowie's clothing. But when I design for a musician, I really try to take into consideration who they are, what they are putting out into the world, 
And then also how they feel about their own body. Mm. Because our relationship with our body is so important in the way that we dress and how we express ourselves. Are we hiding it? Are we, how are we existing in clothing? And what do we want to say? Mm, yeah. I, so one of my questions was, what are the questions you're asking the artist or what, how do you go about the research if you're going to make something custom for Elizabeth Moen or for Anthony Warden? What does that process look like from beginning to end? I first ask them, what are the ideas that you have in your head? What do you imagine? Because there are certain expectations that this artist might already have. And then you go from there. You take measurements. That way you know the fit. And then comes the the inspiration and the mood board feel where it's like, all right, we got these fabrics, we got corduroy, we've got texture, we've got color. Then you think about how that can exist on the body in a way where they're going to feel good and comfortable. And then comes the drafting of the patterns and puzzle piecing the way that the material is going to be on their body and hopefully make them feel really good. Like you mentioned, I feel like this is especially the case for women. The way that clothing is made, like when it's made in mass, is set to a standard. We've all experienced it. Like we put the jeans on, the jeans fit our hip, our hips, but not our thighs. And like, it can be such a frustrating and just discouraging process sometimes to shop when it should be something that is expressive and fun and playful and like I can't tell you the number of times I've left a dressing room just like demoralized and to be able to fit something perfectly for the way that exactly someone is is just sounds like a a powerful empowering thing to do for someone else do you do you sense that yes I do it I just got goosebumps. When someone puts something on and you can tell that they feel like themselves in it, that what they're seeing, they love. I feel like that is a mark of me doing a good job when I see that someone feels good in something and they feel confident. This is like a literal epiphany I've had recently. I kind of ignored you know, the idea of fashion, I think. It just kind of happened just in a period of time, like pandemic time. Like, I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, I'm just going to throw on the schluppy, my schluppy sweatsuit. Yes. (laughs) And just like exist in this for weeks on end. And then, I don't know, just recently, I'm like, everyone knows that when you put on something that does feel distinctly you, or is like, just not you enough that you can kind of embody a little bit of something else. Like you can kind of tap yes. into something else. I'm like, what is, what is more important than that? Like fashion can be seen as superficial, but the way that we embody what we're wearing and the way that affects the way we navigate our lives and our attitudes, like that is huge. That is such an untapped energy source right there just like what you put on your body and how you feel in it I ignored it for a long time when you look at uh, fashion as is as it exists now 
like on a larger scale in mass. Are there certain things you wish were different or do you ever feel like we're going in the wrong direction with uh, our day-to-day fashion? Do you have any musings on that? Do I wish things were different? Yes, that list is long. But I feel I feel like the list that I want to speak on is ways that the industry is innovating and the ways that it is listening to people and who they are and what they need and what they want. Um, I feel like the industry is really listening to people in that they want you know, made in the United States. They want sustainable. They want size inclusive. Like these points are important to a lot of people. And I think the industry has really gotten shaken up, one, by the impact of athleisure in the last year. But two, we're demanding different approaches to designing. My uh, senior year of college, I had to do a thesis uh, for business school. And my thesis was about average size mannequins. How, what, what does that influence shopping behavior? Are people more or less like likely to purchase things? And, you know, did whatever, did all this research, turned it in. And then like a month later, I went to Target and there were not only average size mannequins, but there were images displayed of plus and average size models. And immediately I'm like, oh my gosh, this feels better already. Yeah. And this is a change that's happening. Like everyone is seeing this and seeing the potential here. That's something to be very excited about. It is, it is. And I think what's really cool right now about what is trending in fashion is this craft core DIY. People are wearing bracelets with smiley face beads and people are cutting up old t-shirts and surging them together in this mosaic. It's this very DIY approach to fashion and it's accessible for everyone. Like anyone can step into that and they can play with their style and still be relatable. It still makes sense to everyone around them. It's not unattainable or expensive it's cool and unique and affordable and I think vintage and secondhand is now cool and also important people know the importance of buying that so it's it's got its dazzle because people want a unique thing that no one else has but it also is crushing it because of the environmental aspect and it's accessible. Most people can thrift. Most people can get things from the thrift store or a vintage shop. And it's so sweet. It's endearing and approachable. Mm, That's awesome. What memory around fashion or creating something for someone or realization through textile and clothing feels sticks out to you or feels formative or is like an epiphany moment. Do you have any of those? So the very first moment where I made a piece of clothing for myself and wore it was in middle school. And my mom, not long before that, was making ornaments for a family. And they were these little pillows that were cross-stitched with snowmen on them. And when I saw her use needle and thread for the first time, 
I thought, okay, this is how clothing is made. I need to learn how to use this needle and thread. So at first I learned, I learned how to cross stitch, which is, you know, the like very grid like fabric. I, I didn't really care about that too much at the time. Instead, what I wanted was to be able to put two pieces of material together and then they could be worn. So there were a lot of pillows that I made, but I, I got really thrifty with what I had. And I cut up shirts that were stained or my mom was like, yeah, you got to get rid of that. You outgrew it. I would cut that up because I fell in love with that material. So I, I kind of scavenged my own house for what I had. And little did I know that those pillows is what would help me create my first garment that I wore, which was a top. And I think it was seventh grade. I hardly could sleep the the night before I went to school because I was a middle schooler and was like, yes, everyone will know that you're wearing this shirt that you made and it's going to be broadcasted, but no one is going to pay attention to you. No one. But I thought this and I wore it to school and I got so many compliments. And that I think was the first time where I was really empowered by the power of clothing. And I had done that for myself. That is a beautiful story. And I feel like anyone who's ever, you know, any creative will relate to so many feelings that are embedded there, especially like the, like not being able to sleep because you're like (laughs) so stoked on what the heck you've just done. Like there are a few feelings for, for me anyways, few feelings in the world that are as magical as that energy. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that it's, it's come with you this whole way. That's really beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) Well, Rachel, we're so excited to see all of your future creations gracing, you know, stages and album covers and bodies all over. Yes. Thank you so much, Ellie. This was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. We'll be right back in conversation with Mandy Nichols. But first, let's hear a word from our development team. The Inglert nonprofit has been presented with incredible challenges over this last year, yet our mission to inspire and activate positive community growth has been unwavering. It feels like we're getting closer to a safer, more stable world, but we still have one final task to complete, successfully reopening the Inglert Theater. Our first public indoors event could be this fall or in early 2022, and whenever it lands, we are preparing for the significant lift of returning to capacity. This includes restaffing and training a front of and back of house team to support our usual rate of 100 events a year. This includes investing in health and safety measures to welcome the public back and ensuring our space accommodates local and touring artists at an exceptional level. You can play a key role in this important stage of our recovery. Our goal is to raise $70,000 by May 31st, 2021. This will help counteract the challenges that COVID-19 closures have placed on our nonprofit organization and help us to reopen successfully. Please visit englert.org and click on donate for more details. Thank you for your support.
Mandy Nichols is the founder of the Corridor Community Access Network, also known as CCAN. CCAN's mission is to facilitate resident participation and empowerment, raising awareness about opportunities to improve the quality of life for all individuals in the Iowa Corridor. Mandy, so nice to meet you. Thanks for jumping on the podcast today. We really appreciate having you here. Yes, thank you for inviting me. Okay, so can you start off by telling us about the Corridor Community Access Network, how it came to be, and your role in the org, and, you know, what it does? So Corridor Community Action Network um, originally started as just a Facebook group. I had been looking for opportunities to do volunteer work and get involved um, with civic things. And there just wasn't really any one place to find that information. I initially just created a Facebook group to post all of those opportunities to create one place where people could go and see all of the different things that they could do to help within the corridor. And it eventually just kind of grew on its own by the basis of what it was. We ended up creating relationships with other organizations because we were basically amplifying their work. We eventually made a public Facebook page as well. We had a convention in January of 2020 where we had, I believe it was 22 different organizations at the Iowa City Library. So people come and talk to representatives and find out what they were about and what they wanted to get involved in. We were planning on having a big outdoor one at the Ped Mall um, with music and things like that that following summer, but COVID kind of put a hold on that. We're just starting to think about when that may seem feasible for us to do. We started creating some of our own projects just when we saw needs that weren't being fulfilled by other organizations that we were amplifying. And we got our nonprofit status last year under the Iowa City Fab Lab. Awesome. And aside from the mobile closet, which we'll get to later on. Can you talk about some of the those holes that you've pinpointed in your time, some extra areas of need that you'd like to focus on? So clothing is really the big one that there isn't a consistent community-wide resource for already within the corridor. We did a back-to-school drive, and we were able to supply it was almost 100 children total. It was 25 at Elizabeth Tate, and then about 80 at Grantwood Elementary with backpacks that were filled with all of the needed supplies for the school year. We did that by working directly with the student family advocates at those schools. Mm -hmm. And then over the winter, we did a winter clothing drive. We worked again with the student family advocates at those two schools, as well as with just people within the community that reached out to us. And it was through both of those projects that we discovered that there is a big need for just general school clothing and work clothing and things like that. So describe the vision for the mobile clothing drive and service. So we intend to purchase a truck that we're going to customize to serve as a mobile closet. And then we plan to work with other organizations. There are actually currently about a dozen organizations within the corridor that have access to the storage sheds that currently store the clothing donations that we have at this time. Mm. We're going to continue to work with those organizations. We will probably take clothing out to them in batches rather than 
them always having to go to the shed themselves at that point. And then we also intend to coordinate with other organizations, particularly other mobile services, to do coordinated routes and provide multiple services at a time. Um, we're also going to do pop-up events and be able to reach more schools um, through direct communication with student family advocates because we'll be able to actually take clothing with us more efficiently. Yeah. It's kind of, it seems kind of absurd that there's such a need for clothing and yet somehow clothing ends up being such a large portion of what ends up in our landfills, um, textiles. Yeah. So creating an, an avenue to not only make clothing more accessible, but to redirect some of that waste is like two birds with one stone. I love it. We're excited about it. It was like two opposing problems that just kind of fit together. Oh, I love it when that happens. So what is it going to take to get the project totally off the ground, running, you know, everything's set and we're doing the dang thing? Um, so we currently have raised a little bit over $5,000 thanks to some wonderful sponsors within the community. We're budgeting about $7,000 to purchase the truck. So we're very close to that goal. And then we're looking at about another $11,000 to cover customization and operating expenses for the first year. Hmm. Creating any initiative, you know, involves a lot of work, a lot of time. You're a mother, you're doing a lot. You know, what is it that compels you to put so much of yourself into this, these kinds of projects? Um, I live in this community. My friends and loved ones live in this community. My children are likely going to continue to live in this community. It's a responsibility to contribute to helping it be a better community so that everybody can have the best life they can here. Absolutely. It seems like CCAN is not only aiming to have people feel that sense of civic duty, because I feel like a lot of people do have that just underlying moral motivation to make their community a better place for everyone. But it, it just makes it easier to see those opportunities. Like when I went to the Facebook page for the first time, you guys do like a daily post of like things you can do today in your community. And it's just like, everything's listed, super easy to digest. You can go there and just look and boop, boop, like, you know, pick what you want to do. And I think that is so helpful. Like it kind of breaks down this intimidating thing of like, oh my gosh, there's a million things I could do. Like, what would I do? Like, where do I even go to volunteer? Like, what is it going to be? It just kind of like breaks it down and it's to something more digestible, which I think like has so much value that maybe we don't even recognize. Was that kind of the inspiration for, for making that post thing happen? Yes, absolutely. Um, when we first started, we were originally just sharing posts and events from other organizations. Then, yeah, it got eventually to the point where it was like, okay, there are so many organizations doing such great things. We're making so many posts every day. The goal here is to facilitate participation and empowerment. So we definitely don't want to make it overwhelming. So we originally, the first regular featured post that we started was that daily action post, which tends to be on an average day, about 10 to 12 things that you can do today at certain times. Like after the derate show, there were usually 
20 something. Um, typically it's 10 to 12. And then over time, we also added on, we have a wish list Wednesday post where we post the needs of various local organizations. And then we also have a weekly action post, which kind of gives a more quick summary of what the, the daily posts will be. And all of those are also sent out through our email subscriber list. Yeah, I think having that digestible information just right there to access all the time. Like I hit that follow button. I hit that like button. I was like, okay, yes, actually, this is what I need. Like I am overwhelmed with all these posts and things everywhere just to have like that list, which it seems like CCAN is like really breaking things down, connecting pieces, organizing, like doing that real dirty organizational work is like the specialty in my, from what I've seen. Yeah. And that's, that's excellent, especially for inspiring people to volunteer. What is your goals or visions or like big dreams with CCAN in the future? I just would like us to be a big part of creating a different kind of community that I think that a lot of people, um, not only in the Iowa City area, but really around the country are envisioning and wanting to see And I want us to do what we can to help create a better system of community support. We are also just recently started having our networking meetings again. Um, We have those once a month. They're on Zoom where we have um, representatives from different organizations come together and we kind of share our goals and our needs for the next month. We see how we're able to support and help each other meet those Um, Those are also live streamed, but those are for great opportunities for different organizations that have common goals to collaborate. Okay, well, I think we're ready to move on to the best show ever portion. And I believe you have a best show experience that features one of our favorite local talents and comedians So why don't you just walk us through the event? What was it like? Where was it at? Who was there? What was going on? Give us all the juicy deets. Um, So one of the last shows that I got to see right before the pandemic hit was Feast by Megan Gogarty at the Riverside Theater. I have not seen much live theater, so that in itself was kind of exciting. And It was really very impressive. I kind of went in thinking, you know, it's a one-woman play. She's the only character in the entire play. And I was like, how how is that going to work? How is that going to be exciting? But it really was. It was very captivating the whole time. It was a very interesting twist on things. I really, really enjoyed it. A one-woman show. Yes. I've heard excellent things. I feel like every one of us has that, like, one thing One thing we missed, we didn't go to pre-pandemic. That's just, like, we're extra kicking ourselves now because we don't have anything to do. And mine is definitely I Didn't Go See Feast by Megan Gogarty. And I keep hearing all these wonderful things about it. I'm like, ah. Oh. At the old Riverside, too. Yeah, it was so good. It was really, really good. And that that is such an intimate space, too. And to be at this... And I 
I think I heard she kind of, you know, used the space in an interesting way too, and had like a, you know, this whole dinner table set up that was interesting. And yeah, just to experience that creativity and ambitiousness and the bigness that is Megan Gorgerty in just like this intimate space with people. She really brought the audience into the play too, just in the way that she spoke, the way that she addressed things. It really put your head in it. Mm. Yeah, I kind of see, you know, you and Megan Gogarty, you're both kind of powerhouses, you know, bringing people together, starting something up, being ambitious. Maybe there's a connection there too. Maybe you kind of had that inner interconnection with the performer on that level because that's I kind of see some similarities there Mandy thank you so much again for joining us and in general for the work you do in our community trying to do everything you can to bring it together make it a better place for everyone see holes see areas of needs and fill them we cannot say enough how much we appreciate positive forces like you in Iowa City. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was very nice to meet you and to talk. Our song of the week is Love Me Again by Ames artist King Wild. We discovered King Wild through the Iowa Artists of the Month initiative led by Iowa Public Radio, the Des Moines Music Coalition, and Good Morning Iowa. The track comes from his recently released EP, Faultless, which is available on Bandcamp and is streaming everywhere. You can catch King Wild live at XBK in Des Moines June 11th or at the Iowa Juneteenth Music Festival June 19th. All right, here it is, Love Me Again by King Wild. It's time.
Getting the most for your money can help you relax. With power checking from Midwest One Bank, you may earn higher interest and ATM fee refunds by simply receiving electronic statements, making at least 15 debit card purchases that post and clear, and making at least one direct deposit, automatic debit from a third party, or bill pay transaction post and clear each qualification cycle. See MidwestOne.Bank for details. Enjoy simply better banking from Midwest One Bank. Member FDIC. Support for this podcast comes from Friends of the Inglert. To learn more, visit inglert.org slash friends. Ongoing support provided by the National Endowment for the Arts and the Iowa Arts Council, a division of the Iowa Department of Cultural Affairs. And by the United States Regional Arts Resilience Fund. Phase One is an initiative of Arts Midwest and its peer United States Regional Arts Organizations, made possible by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation.